0: I want you to get this fuck where he breathes. I want you to find this Nancy boy, Elliot Ness. I want him dead. I want his family dead. I want his house burnt to the ground. I want to go to the middle of the night. I want to
1: piss out his ass.
2: Hello there, and welcome to Pivotal Film. I am Tom Nolan. And I'm adjusting my microphone, also known as Mario Ponzio. It's a superhero name. <laughs> the most disappointing superhero in life. What are you doing? You can't start drinking the beer already. It's just sitting there open in front of me. It's oh so my outrageous. god! Everything's ruined. <laughs> okay, you know what? Fuck it. We usually do our little conversation and have fun, and then we lead into the beer conversation, but you know what?
0: Let's just jump right into the beer. We're
2: g- We're drinking? East Rock's Oktoberfest, East Rock Brewing, located near Footsteps from the Pivotal Film Studio. And, uh, you know, last week was the first episode of October, and we had discussed how it would be fun to do Oktoberfest beers throughout the month, seeing as we only drink IPAs. Yes. But we fucked it up, and the first episode of October was an IPA. IPA. Um, But now, for the rest of October, we will be imbibing an Oktoberfest. So... Tom, how was the beer? Cause you already fucking drank it.
0: I only had like a tiniest sip, so I'm gonna need to take a bigger one, Mario. Oh,
2: okay. Pop. We already <laughs> opened it. Obviously, we already <laughs> opened it, but we're gonna dink it. I feel dirty dinking this. Sloppy seconds. Is that allowable to say, sloppy seconds? I think so, as long as you're not talking about a mm-hmm. person. I, I, I've had this Oktoberfest many times before. Yeah. By many times, I mean like once or twice. The East Rock Brewing's only it's been open a couple.
0: I like it a lot.
2: This is my favorite Oktoberfest it's I've ever tasty. had. It's
0: tasty. I was resisting the Oktoberfest idea because I had an Oktoberfest from, I forget where I had it, and it was rough. It was very, um, I don't know, minerally?
2: Really? You know what I mean? So that's not usually my problem with Oktoberfest. I had a an Obinger, I, I believe it's pronounced. No, for somebody with mostly Germanic roots, I should be able to pronounce German. Um, not, no, that doesn't make any goddamn sense right? <laughs> Um yeah, it's it's innately learned. It's an Assassin's Creed sort of situation. Uh, but no, I had an Obinger from actual, actual, an actual German brewery, and it's mm-hmm. really sweet. Mm. So I usually have a hesitancy with Oktoberfest because I find them sweet. and I don't like sweet. I've beers. never had
0: a sweet Oktoberfest. Beer. Really, yeah. you've been you've been lucky. I don't. I'm I'm not like a big Oktoberfest guy. So I don't like search yeah, out I the Oktoberfest. I don't like.
2: I I started my craft beer journey with. Heffenweisen, mm-hmm. I liked Heffenweisen because I like that wheaty beer. And I still like that wheat taste. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that's what I like a lot about this. There's a lot of like wheat and malt with this. I think East Rock Brewing knows how to like put wheat forwardness.
0: This is the second beer we've had of theirs, and I've enjoyed each of a them. third. Is did we have it? What was it? We third had one?
2: the Hoffenlager and, Lager and um, we didn't have the Pilsner, but we did have the Hoffenlager and, and our other Oh beer. we drank the same the, the wise, two beers on the, yeah, yeah, the, the same day. The Weiss um, beer. Um, and I, I've the Wise beer is been, good. The beer is my I like least the Wise beer. Favorite, but it's, I don't like Wise, but like that was the best Wise. Not the best Wise I've had, but one of the better Wise. It was there. very and good. And the is great. Yeah, it yeah. tastes like an IPA that's not an IPA. It was very satisfying. But this is my favorite of theirs. Um, they still haven't opened their tasting rooms to the public. However, they have put growlers in. I saw a bunch of glassware out there when I was Ooh. going to the gym today. Because I go to the gym a lot, ladies. Um... <laughs> Doesn't the results not really show? Just, Just a, rub your arms have, on the microphone. I have a big top and like an equally big bottom. It's a nice little hourglass shape, which is not the idea. Or you know what? You know what, Maybe it is the idea. Just do your what thing. Are you about? Um, I don't know. I'm getting off on track. This is why you don't drink gin before an episode. There you go.
0: That's that's the new
2: rule. <laughs> um, I'm actually in a good mood, surprisingly, considering considering
0: what happened to us earlier. Yeah. Um Which considering what happened to us last week.
2: Well, no, it happened. I mean, it happened to us earlier, but yeah. we just we record um, our A-blocks a week in advance. Speaking of A-block, let's get to some new movies. Yeah, we have a lot of movies. This is the award season, yep. so let's get right into it.
0: All right, so we got a couple of uh, Netflix movies to talk about this week. We did not get to the theaters this week. Yeah, sometimes that happens. It's yeah, just too wasn't... much. It's overwhelming sometimes to look at like, the stuff coming out and like where it is. It's so yeah, and there wasn't,
2: there wasn't a lot of films that came out in New Haven. There was First Man. But both of us are kind of dragging our feet to see that. We will see it. We'll but, get to it. We'll probably, probably get to it when we're talking about the end of the year. Um doesn't <laughs> seem like anybody really cared about it. Uh but we'll definitely see it beforehand. We're not
0: going to make a space for it.
2: No. You know what I mean? Because yeah. I think it's going to be a movie where we don't have a lot to say. And if we end up seeing it and having a lot to say, then, then we'll, we'll, yeah, we'll, say we'll talk about, about it then. But um and. We're saving another another movie that came out th- this week for, yeah. for next week.
0: Um, so the first movie we're going to talk about oh, is the, gun. <laughs> the first movie we're going to talk about is uh, the kindergarten teacher.
1: The sun hits her yellow house. It's almost like a sign from God. Was that a poem? <laughs> that was a poem.
0: The sun hits her yellow house. It is almost like a sign from God. Wow. With so few elements, she thinks something very, very complex. I think we have a young Mozart.
1: If you stay curious, then you can see the world however you want. Like a cat. Meow. Uh,
0: Meow. Written and directed
2: by Sarah Colangelo. This oh. is her second feature. After uh little accidents, which was one of the first times that um Boyd Holbrook got uh, top building. So There you go. Take that as you will. If you saw Predators <laughs> and got kinda angry, or the Predator, Jesus. All those movies have the same goddamn name. Predators. There's like Predators, Predator, and the Predator. Yeah, like, come on, people. Get
0: together. Name namers. Um this movie stars Maggie Gyllenhaal as Lisa Spinelli. She is a kindergarten teacher. Perhaps the kindergarten teacher in the uh, mentioned in the title of the movie there. Titular. The kindergarten. titular ah oh, Mario. That's that's what I needed. Yeah. The titular kindergarten teacher. Um she is taking some poetry classes at a local university. Um I, I, or a maybe I continuing a local education. Yeah, I'm like not
2: sure. Um, it's not like Simon seems like he's a good teacher anyway. Gael Garcia Bernal plays Simon. Playing like Mozart in the park character for like the 20th time. He just seems to be smiley for a while, and then he's confused, and then he's not
0: in the movie anymore.
2: Yeah, and he's like, well, oh, this is inappropriate. You need to be, leave my class. Well, he actually
0: says... It's, what's also... What's inappropriate is that she's stealing the kid's poetry. It's not inappropriate that she's dragging, like, not her five-year-old, like... Into New York City to read poetry in front of a bunch of other people. He's not sure about that.
2: But Something just, weird going stealing. on about that. It's, it's the, but he stole the poetry. And the fact that she's um, not an artist. Oh my god. The five-year-old in question movie.
0: here is uh, Jimmy Roy, played by Parker C-Vac. Um He acts. He he kind of recites this impromptu poetry and a. Um, in a very kind of animalistic fashion, he's just kind of paces up and down and he's just rubbing like his hands, pops out words, and um, he seems very agitated. But she seems Was to it? be very starved for any kind of creative, appropriate creative release. I mean, she takes this poetry class, but her poetry is. You know, she says it gets labeled as derivative, and it's kind of simple. And, and um, Simon says that her metaphors are fairly standard, first-year poetry writing class stuff. And she seems like she's really uh,
2: grasping for something more. I want to talk about that really quick. I'm not. I'm not a big poetry guy. Like my two poets, my top three would be like Frost, Dickinson, and then Dante. <laughs> Well, there's a Dickinson-esque you, quality to some of the stuff that he's doing. Do I guess. Think, do you think her one poem's better than which all one? His, the one she wrote. The first one she wrote about the no, flowers.
0: No, it was terrible. Both of her poems are terrible.
2: I think all the poems in this movie are fucking awful. I think the one
0: poem that works for me, um, and this is something we kind of talked about with um, maybe a little bit. Maybe we did And you know are you're, you are a I mean you're a poetry. Guy, I do like so poetry. Yeah, yeah. So. Um, not even because of that. I actually poetry doesn't figure like factor into my songwriting. My, when I write lyrics, it's, they're just vehicles for melody. I actually don't give a shit what they, what they say well, at well, all. Is that
2: sometimes sometimes with poetry? Yeah, so. I guess. So.
0: Um, but I think um, we talked about a little bit last week with a star is born um, in the sense that like if the music doesn't, if you're going to present art, like if the a person, a main character in the movie is an artist and that art is kind of like central to the to like the plot of the movie, that art better be fucking good. You know what I mean? There are better be good. Better be good art. Then all of it, I think all of it sucks. I think the weird thing about this movie, though, Mario, is that yes, I'm not. I think it would work better if the poetry was no good, and she was kind of, um, you know, misleading herself to think the poetry is good. But then she drags him to that poetry reading. And everyone thinks the poetry is good. Which is nonsense. And she reads that poem out loud, his, the I mean, kids' poems out loud. I mean, for a five-year-old, is, I guess, but they're good. not responding to it as a five-year-old wrote it. They're responding to it as like a really, like some kind of um, poetic prodigy, and that, um, you know, it's, it's really significant. I mean, the, you know. But um, to me,
2: yeah, to me, it, like his poetry Lisa feels like kind a of, gimmick. Like it feels like oh a five year old is using words that a five year old would not but that's use not properly, how they, but
0: that's not how they treat it. But like, that's how
2: they should. And like I'm right, okay I for suspension you. of belief in film completely. Um, but fuck this movie! Like there's so much like just nonsensical well, what are the leaps that you of don't, logic. Okay, yeah. I mean, let's. I mean, go, that's let's deal that's that my first. thing. It's just it, I do not buy into the conceit, and it's a. Con- it's it's a premise I don't give a shit about at all. <laughs> like I don't care about a five year old prodigy. I don't care about a woman's starved for. It. Like we talked about this. I think this is a good duo pick with Land of Steady Habits in that it's problems that aren't problems. Mm. She has a very happy marriage. Her kids are intelligent. Um, right, and we- she's like presented obviously has has a. Very flawed character. But, like, I don't want to watch an hour and 36 minutes of this dummy being sad that her poetry's bad and needing to find, like, this prodigy. And then this prodigy not even writing poetry that I believe is good and that I believe anybody besides other idiots would also like. Mm -hmm. And I don't buy the fact that Simon is that intelligent. I don't believe he's, like, like, to me it feels like he's at a city center um making maybe $1000 a semester.
1: Well, does the I, power, I don't, buy, I mean, I
2: don't I, there, there's no like authority saying his poetry like nobody like maybe I, I, maybe that's the intent here is the fact that she is just as culturally insignificant yeah. as everyone else. But if that's the point then then Sarah Calling Call, call did a terrible job at it. Well, I do not think? This, I don't think this movie needs I think it's to weird because I think it's they're trying to say that
0: she's um that this stuff that 's happening is not culturally insignificant yeah there's so he they're, has
2: they're to be buying into it there's nothing that says she 's wrong I think everyone's saying she 's
0: right I think there's a lot of tonal um mistakes in this movie Whoa. and i don 't even mean tonal i don't mean tonal from just kind of like the tone of the movie, but kind of what cer- you mean from the meter <laughs> yeah wink from what certain aspects of of the narrative or certain choices that she made when writing it um Represent in regards to the tone. So the fact that this poetry reading is at the Bowery Ballroom, um, you know, I guess it's a it's a Thursday, but it's still evening. And Thursday, it's still New York City. Thursday evening. They with, could book a fucking show at the Bowery yeah. Ballroom. I mean, are they having a? Are they having amateur busy amateur poetry readings uh, like there on Thursday nights in the you know middle of Manhattan? Like I don't. That seems weird. And if they, <laughs> they are, are not, if they are doing it. That better be some really significant fucking poetry. But this guy teaches, who's apparently a significant poet to the point that he seems like an organizer, that he can choose who comes to it, is teaching a night school
2: continuing education class for these kind of non-poets. Do we think, perhaps, maybe he committed a felony? Like, Simon was secretly, like, a murderer at one point. Or, like, a drunk driver and ran someone over. And this is like his his restitution because that's the only way no, this makes sense. No, because his
0: office is so well inhabited. He's obviously been there for a long time.
2: The well inhabited, where he just sporadically goes after Lisa with no really inclination of that building up, and it's just used. Her, it's just right in her mouth hole. It's just used there for like a moment of tension because everything in this movie's unearned. Everything. Yeah. So down to the point that bathrooms lock from the outside. Yeah, that's great. Fuck this movie, man.
0: Um, I. We both think Maggie Gyllenhaal is really good. Oh, she's... She's, she's really she's, but it's good like, at conveying this kind of, like,
2: um, odd kind of misplaced desperation. But water's wet. Maggie Gyllenhaal's always good. I, yeah, that's like, Besides, true. like, The Dark Knight, but that's a flat <gasps> but character. But I actually but like, think she's pretty good... In, in, she's really upon, good for what Christopher Nolan is giving her. Yeah. But, like, um, yeah, you don't go into a Maggie Gyllenhaal movie going, like, oh, I hope she fucking delivers this time. <laughs> It's like, of course she's going good. to be good. It's going
0: be good Maggie Gyllenhaal. Um, it's
2: like in their genes, I the think, Gyllenhaal. So if sibling. I was to grade this movie and
0: I'm not going to, you know, none of this is official, I'd probably give it a C. I'd give it a C because I actually think it's a fairly good attempt.
2: Could, can I make a joke really quick? Yeah. I'd give it, my grade would be a don't see. Oh, nice. That is good. <laughs> Gold star. Um, oh, man. I would... That's like
0: a pun. I think it's... It, Maybe not good. Good's not the word. I think it's a worthy attempt at dramatizing something like Virginia Woolf's um, "A Room of One's Own," where she posits that there would be more like female artists if, like, females were traditionally given the space to create art that that men were. Um, you know, Maggie Gyllenhaal talks a lot about kind of what she gave up. To, you know, or not a lot, and I think that's one of the flaws of the script is that she kind of hits these notes one time and then she moves on from them, and never mention them again. Um, about like the idea that like oh you know there's an everyday routine. If you know we look past our everyday routine, maybe we can see something new. If we, um... and she talks a little bit about um, in you know, what scene where she catches her daughter smoking pot and they're having a weird party in the backyard, uh, you know, about, you know, how she wishes her house could be more artistic and people could read more things and get off of their phones and blah, 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 blah.
2: I liked it when Molly Shannon was saying that last week. Yeah, I know, that's kind of it's ironic.
1: I was, that we're talking I about was actually movie. laughing
2: at that earlier really, because I almost mentioned this scene right. off air. Um, has one of the scenes I liked forgetting that that was a scene from a much, 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 it much, happens much, much better. Here, 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 here. less, less, less effective. Um, in every way.
0: But I think it's 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 um something
2: worth I think the idea is something worth
0: exploring and I don't think they explored it correctly
2: here. I would agree. Um, and I, I I have you seen the the original. I haven't seen the original. I haven't seen the original film. though. And like I think it's a good premise. I think it's a really good idea and there's a lot of promise there.
0: Well, it's just I mean I, I kind of I think it swings and misses, but it's 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 swing is it's a good swing. You know what I mean? It's on it's on the level. Okay. Um but it's just it's it's just swung way too hard. So like when she kind of descends into like the kidnapping phase, um, I'm not rooting for her anymore. And I think a movie that is trying to convey some of the same messages that something like a room of one's own is trying to convey, you would never kind of stop rooting for her. But she clearly reaches a point where she's her her desire to kind of get out of her 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 you know societal her cult, societal and cultural rut her gender induced rut can't be supported anymore so when he's calling the cops and saying like I've been kidnapped which is kind of awesome I didn't really see that coming um, where he's just kind of like I don't want to I actually don't want to do this um, when she's like oh the society's going to erase you just like uh-huh. me and I was just kind of like yeah but I can't care about that anymore cuz you kidnapped a kid and you were like calling him obsessively on his phone and telling him that you
2: loved him and you suck as a person like you, like, you I don't... contribute nothing to this world like it's but, it's but, a weird so no premise. the problem is
0: and I just want to interrupt you because I don't want like people okay. to misconstrue what you're saying it's that she doesn't <sighs> she places n- literally zero value on anything she does and places all the value on her being able to write poetry. Yeah. and she, so, she's, so she's not even, she's not giving any, at any point in the movie, isn't giving any credence to anything else that she's done as a human. Um, it's all for her about poetry, which is weird because th- things that she has done has, have
2: had value. Because you, you get the idea she's a really good, teacher
1: and she
0: seems like film. she's a good mom too because all of her kids like despite the pop party or whatever which was actually pretty tame have turned out pretty good they're all make seem to make fairly good standard
2: yeah cultural the son's choices. getting into a, a pretty decent college like he's, he's deciding to go into the military right. which you know but he's have it's, but it's well it's well thought out you know yeah, what I mean? exactly and and the daughter even says like i get straight a's it just comes easy to me mm-hmm. and it's like Whatever, she's a good parent, but also like the fact that she's a good teacher. I mean, that's something she has more autonomy over. Like a good, and she seems like a really good teacher. Yeah, nothing in the beginning of the movie shows that she's bad at her job. It shows that she's very solid at her job, at least.
0: And nothing in the early movie seems shows that she's about to have a kind of psychic break, where she's going to end up like kidnapping a kid from school um, because he right because she thinks he's going to publishes a, a book of his
2: poetry in Canada. And she's supported by, like, a bunch of, like, people who, who soundly are backing her. Like, you know, her husband, obviously kind of a bit of a Philistine sort of type, you know, he's presented as... seems like a good guy. It seems like he's he's supporting her in every way, wants to, like, cares about reading the poem. The children, you know, are in that age, but still aren't lashing out. They're just not eating dinner <laughs> at night. They're getting yeah. ordering pizza, but it's just, like, nothing in this is earned, and and you say, using your baseball analogy, to me, and I I I I think I just want to close on this. It feels like a really good fat pitch Mm. in the sense that that premise is it's a good pitch, and you know, there's a lot of juice there, Mm. maybe of of a woman who's who's broken, who who has a lot to say, who maybe has. Kind of, kind of a voice and whatnot, but that's constantly being ignored. Like mm-hmm. that point they make it be in, and then the swing comes out of his, the hand of the batter instantaneously. The bat goes flying, somehow goes through the safety net, impales itself on several children. <laughs> is that what this is like? And then the batter breaks down, crying, kills himself on the field because this, it's. Such a miserable experience for me. In the sense that it creates this premise in the end where she's like, you know, you'll be ignored. And I'm like, oh, good. You're oh going my there. God, you're going you're, to you're go right into it in the end. Just where the kid, like, gets the door closed on him and goes, I have a poem. And I'm like, oh, fuck. And like, it, but that's such, I, that's that's, such bullshit.
0: That's it bullshit. doesn't make be, for, That's bullshit for a lot of reasons, but it's especially bullshit because, like, the cop put him there. That cop just arrested i'm sure or it was part of the arresting party of a woman that kidnapped a kid like in new jersey and drove him almost up to canada like she's got stuff to do. Yeah, you know what that I mean? doesn't matter. Like only he has a poem right. every
2: three fucking days. The idea
0: that he's the idea that the movie is suggesting that he's you know everything that she said is coming true because a police officer that has something really important to do put him in this car so he was safe and didn't sit next to him just kind of waiting for also, him to like tell her you know what's going to
2: happen probably when they go to get ice cream. She's probably going to listen to that poem. And maybe if she knows anything about poetry, or maybe if she's struck by the poetry, she'll be like, oh, that's pretty good. We should pursue it.
0: M- Mario connects us, I think, to our next movie. It's all a circle. It's all, it's all a times all, a flat circle, as, all, as time's Russ Full would say. Uh,
2: the next film we saw was the um, 2018, because it just was also just released. I don't know why I said the year. I felt compelled to I say the say year. year. Um, Gareth Evans, written and directed Apostle. Mm hmm.
1: shall be cleansed according to the edict of this land the promise of the divine is but an illusion god is pain god is suffering beware false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing but inwardly they
2: are ravening
1: wolves let us begin
2: it stars dan stevens as thomas richardson who was a former missionary um, unfortunately went to paint king during the boxer rebellion was horribly burned most of his parish was murdered and so he's now lost his faith and Mm -hmm. he's thought dead he comes back and finds out that his um, sister Jennifer was kidnapped by this cult led by uh, Michael Sheen's Malcolm Mm -hmm. who live on this island refusing to pay the king's taxes living off this land that's supposed to be just desolate soil he goes there tries to hide you know this is a cult that's very much in, in built into itself um he has to steal another person's ticket basically to get in there um and it's hiding trying to find his sister to escape um the ghost likes this premise they heard, uh. uh and after that a lot of people get cut up in various ways and eventually leads to the fact that this land is ruled over by a, a goddess of sorts who's been captured by malcolm quinn and frank who are the three prisoners who had been they had been captured over by the king sentenced yeah, to death think, and they kind of yeah. washed up um and she she demands basically needs blood to to give to give life to this yep. land and, and so the the circle of sacrifices is just increasing increasing and increasing and there's this absolute desolation and desperation as the stakes raise and raise and raise, as they would from a movie from the writer director of the two raid films, although on a much less of a level. You haven't seen the two raid films, have you? Mm-hmm. Fucking amazing. I love those two raid. The raid almost came up on my list, but mm. it's just like a, a two hour long erection for me of a movie. <laughs> like there's movies. I, there's a movie I like. I sat my dad down. I was like, "You need to watch this," and like he was just like. Like oh I I forgot it doesn't translate to audio. I was looking no, very it. wide-eyed, it's like a... staring without blinking. Yeah, that movie's amazing. Um, I think I think I like this a lot. Uh, yeah. In this seems, sense, this is something weird to
0: be unsure of.
2: Yeah, from a story perspective, it does a lot of unearned things. Like um, I don't, man. It's just like they don't ex- ever I, explain so read, who that grinder read, is. Yeah, like, like, there's there's stuff like that, which is fine. But, like, Gareth Evans um, talked about how he saw the premise of how Earth or ideas come into man. He talked about this with Collider. Um, and, and man takes them and abuses them and uses them for their own gains. So okay. he talked about politics and religion, about how, like, there's ideas presented that at their instance kind of seem good and kind of give life to people. And then people just mutilate them for their own needs and it becomes a cyclaic thing of eventually they they destroy it to the point where it becomes a, a really twisted, maligned version of itself. Mm-hmm. Um and then something new blossoms at the end of this movie, you know, Thomas dying kinda of becomes the new god mm-hmm. of the land. And I just that that didn't work for me at all. It wasn't like this is, this entire like the kind of supernatural subplot uh-huh. didn't work for me. Um i wanted that to be more much more on the edges i think this yeah. film works if that's there but not your entire third act i think that story of this man's insanity of quinn's insanity is a really fucking awesome movie well, i they... think that's awesome like that entire part works for me and like the ideas that they want to like escalate the sacrifices work yeah um but the fact like that that you that becomes like the b plot to like this this witch god mother nature sort of god this you know wanting to die and like that becoming the main conceit of the film mm-hmm. that was that didn't work at all and that's why it's like it's a movie I it's two parts the movie i really really enjoy like my favorite horror movie probably of the year and a movie that i think's fucking dumb
0: <laughs> um yeah i liked it um i think maybe in kind of the same not for the same reasons and i, di- I didn't dislike what I disliked in it wasn't the same thing that you disliked, but I kind of feel the same way. Like, um it did what it was supposed to do really well. And I think you kind of you told me to go seek out the VHS two part that he directed, the safe haven part. Um
2: Which I think's bet which I think does the same things better. I tonight. disagree. Okay.
0: Um for very like, you know, um for like aesthetic reasons. Like this is clearly what Gareth Evans would do if he had a bunch of money yeah, to make something. Which is interesting because it's like the that. same
2: crew. Exactly. Like sure. the same cinematographer, same score, he's uh, got, same composer. So he's got time and he's got money. Yeah. He's got Netflix Fuck You Money. Right. So. Um, this is somebody I think, this is one of the first times I saw somebody get Netflix Fuck You Money and, like, and do something with it. do And be able to do something with yeah. it. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't think necessarily the, you know, the, the chains being off affected it at all? I think I think no, just, it's
0: fairly gruesome.
2: Yeah. I um, mean, and it, it looks but it and it also looks good. But it's it's really still sound. I think the flaws with it are flaws you'd get in a normal movie yeah. almost. And so like I'd kind of like am excited to see what Gareth well, Evans like, hopefully Gareth Evans gets more money now.
0: I appreciate that you think that like a nature god who's chained to this chair who's fed blood by a guy who grinds People up in a huge wood chipper meat grinder oh, that's, thing that's that wears that part's great. bloody rags on his face um, a is, a nor- is a normal film. I like that. <laughs> I like that you think that's, that's what a normal film would do. Um, I, did, I actually kind of, the thing I didn't like about that aspect of the movie was how quickly after she's introduced when Thomas is kind of escaping, um, being caught. Um, you know, breaking into that barn where she's where she's hidden.
2: Also breaking into the barn, not when he's in, like, the Blood River.
0: No, no, but, like, so he's in, after he escaped, you know, he, he breaks into the barn, um, or he tries to break into the barn, and he ends up in the Blood River, and then the woman comes out of the thing, which is really kind of awesome. Yeah, that's, a, um, that's like a fun scene. And so he escapes into these caverns and he's and he's you know got his lighter out and he's looking at all these drawings and I'm like, "Oh, I'm intrigued now. Like there's a soup, there is a supernatural element to this. Like that's pretty cool." I was like, I kind of figured there would be because what the hell would be the point of this movie if there wasn't? Um, but, you know, it's cool. You know, I am I'm, I'm with it. And then like Michael Sheen's brother Malcolm just kind of like walks in and was like, "You showed yourself, eh?" And she's just kind of, like, yeah. there. I'm like,
2: w- w- what are you doing? Like, why are you giving me all this information? I don't want this information. Do you know what this... this do you know what... Yeah, I think I agree with you. Do you know what it bugs me? That beginning. The fact that Thomas is on the brink of insanity. He's taking... was that? Ludinum? He's that like taking a like a that, it's, it's yeah, a, that... It's a tincture. It's a ludinum, yeah. yeah. I think. I think it's what it's called. It's, like a, it's, a, it's a, no, basically an opium. Yeah. Um... You know he's on the brink of insanity. It's like for, a post-traumatic stress. I think. Yeah, because right? he's, yeah. he's been tortured. Yep. Um, and then they have that shot where they're getting on to the boat,
1: mm-hmm.
2: and I'm looking at this going like, oh my god, this is going to be like a Lovecraft film.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And you know, like that's a, a perfect shot of like a, a Lovecraft idea. And like they, even when they're on the boat and they throw that that sheep, just slide that sheep, just that nice <laughs> shot of the sheep just, just sliding throwing it yeah. into the water. And, and and the beginning when you know that kind of supernatural elements kind of on the edges. Yeah. I, I wanted, it needed to stay there on the edges. Cause I think until had...
0: the, until like the payoff or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
2: And, and I, I still think the payoff of it being like a very human goddess, you know, who is like, I, I don't think that conceit that, that not conceit, that entire theme works for me in, in what was given. It's not what I wanted. And I don't think it, it worked.
1: So much in yeah. the fact
2: that it is a really well done movie on the brink of sanity. Everyone's kind of on that brink of sanity. You know, the, the tensions are, the, the stakes are so high, but then that third act kind of shows its hand completely, and you're like,
0: I don't want to see this. Yeah, and it's weird that so many people know about her. Yeah, like that the, Malcolm's just, daughter, just, yeah. played by Lucy she Boynton. Was pretty good. Lucy Boynton. Boynton. The fact that she knows about it is odd. Because why would she know about it? Like, wouldn't you want to keep this hidden? I guess I mean it's his daughter, well, but like, that's—is this really something that like the whole town seems to like be accepting of? Like that there is this kind of witch that they're feeding blood to. Well, there's like you this, know occasionally.
2: There's that's that's weird too because it's like it's trying to do this um, sing 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 street not sing song. I always said sing. Um, there, there's an earnestness to to Malcolm like he's. You you get the idea throughout the entire thing that he has the best intentions. He's he's trying to be yeah, he's a good person. I mean, that's he's, where like
0: that's Mike getting Michael Sheen to do this movie I, is like a real coup, in the sense that he gets to he can do some stuff that you need the guy playing this character to do. So when he's looking out the window at, at Jennifer, kind of being tortured, and he's kind of has a like really questioning look on his face, like you know, where's this where's this going? Like I don't yeah. really want to do this. Like I'm or even really when just. The...
2: Even when in the beginning, when that one, when he knows the person being murdered, that they're mur- they're slit they're slit in the guy's throat, when he knows that guy's like one of his parishioners, and even if he wasn't, he kind of get the idea that he's not happy mm-hmm. about it. Like he obviously has problems with the throne, you know. He obviously is a kind of shitty dude, um, but, but he's got that weird royal guard. Yeah. It's like okay. yeah, yeah. It's, it's So he definitely has this this weird tinge to him, but there's some weird code he stands by versus like Quinn, who's just a psychopath.
0: Well, it seems like, it seems like Malcolm is content to be a prophet, preach the gospel of like a a fairly Christian gospel, I guess. Um, while acknowledging that the um, uh, survival of these people requires the, um,
2: their blood, yeah.
0: Their blood and the participation of this weird forest god that they've kind of kidnapped. Um, I don't, he doesn't seem to love it, but he also, but he. It seems like he doesn't know another way that they could do this. I mean, yeah, they're like and really that's why, cloistered on this island, and that's why
2: I think he tells them because he doesn't want them to sacrifice. He he needs to be honest about why they have to sacrifice. I guess, blood. yeah. Um, I, mean, I think that's kind of earned, and that character would be earnest. I think
0: so vibe. too, but I think it's weird that we know about it for so long. Yeah, no, that, like agree. you know, you know. um Oh, what's her name, I can't think of her name, um, that uh, Andrea. Oh, Andrea is kind of like, oh, you, you've you met her. Really? I guess you've seen her. It's like, what do you mean? <laughs> what do you mean, I guess you've seen her? Like, why do you know about this? Why should anybody know about this? This is terrible.
2: Yeah, and it's like, it, you know, it's something you'd expect from they, the Malcolm character, but it's...
0: And I guess why would they have, like, all this these, like, secret, like, you know the secret passageway to get to the barn that I guess is set back so far on the island that no one goes or whatever. If like everyone's kind of vaguely aware that this thing exists.
2: I guess it's like, like he doesn't the, they the don't point? trust yeah I guess they don't trust the people not to try to burn her.
0: They don't trust the guy in the rags to not just like shoot everybody and yeah. grind them up.
2: Yeah, no like I said I think I think everything that relates to her Doesn't work for me, and that's why that's why I'm conflicted on how I feel. Except aesthetically, I think
0: no, aesthetically they really made something there that looks cool, and um, I responded to. And
2: And like that grinder character is just a cool-looking kind of villain. I mean, he he looks like a just you know kind of Silent Hill-style monster. Oh yeah, it was good, but um, it's fun. And that that entire grinding scene, like that that scene that fight between Thomas and and the grinders, like really really awesome unsettling scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, I
0: mean, I think that when, um, but, Frank's son gets killed, that's a good scene. Uh, um, oh, when they, no, th- you know, puts a drill in his head, like, you know,
2: it's a, it's a relentlessly tough, yeah. gory film. I think this is the, by far the goriest film on Netflix. It, but I think this, it's beats earned out, but it's earned, beats then. out, hold the dark by a yeah, lot, which yeah, is shocking well, to me. But, um, um,
0: well, because hold the dark. is, I, you know, I, we've had this, that was the moments before, of violence.
2: yeah. Um, but again, this is more. This this is more in your face. It's a little more kind of animated, I guess. I but I like that it knows what it is. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's I can
0: get into this movie because it knows what it it, it knows what it is and it's not trying to be anything more. And I'm going to go back to this in 2018 over and over and over again. The problem with Hereditary is that it wants to be this really significant film and it's just it's just a horror movie. And all the significant things undercut the horror, so you don't really even care about the horror anymore. And
2: I think that's—I think that's the problem—is—is is the fact that like the raid and the raid two both work in the sense that there's there's a th- like a fair ther- a thread thin plot with this support of just such technical soundness, like it, it's shot. This movie shot gorgeously. All three of those movies are shot gorgeously. The fight scenes in, in Raid are some of the best fight scenes you'll see on film mm-hmm. in general. Um, the violence is in your face, but very earned and very... It gets uncomfortable, but you keep watching. Mm-hmm. Um, the scores in this is incredibly sound. It, it it builds the tension. It builds like that kind of fear. Mm-hmm. But then it, it, like this movie feels like it had something to say. Even oh, see, I disagree. Even. I'm not sure it had
0: something to say. I think it, it just does, missed. though,
2: because he he himself like tries to yeah, say like, this is but, what I'm trying to say, and but it's like
0: it, it doesn't watch like that.
2: You know what I mean? To me, it did though. To me, it felt like
0: no, see, it I, ends
2: with him trying to say something, and it's like I don't care. No. I want to watch a really sound, yeah, supernaturalist, weird Christian the, al- not allegory, but weird Christian kind of like twist.
0: But that's kind of how I watched uh, it because it's so I And mean, on the surface, it's really. It's really simple in the sense that it's just kind of um, you know people have compared it to the Wicker Man, which I guess it I guess it kind of is because it's like a cultish you know thing cloistered off from society blah blah blah. And
2: if we're talking about the and if you want to talk about more of the recent Wicker Man, a guy does have a, a beehive looking thing over his head. Sure, it does not say the bees. the, bees, the, bees. He, oh, God, say the bees. he just kind of says,
1: Bruh.
2: yeah. Um,
0: but yeah, I kind of watched it and just kind of enjoyed it. Like I, uh, you know. It is what it is. It's a you know, it's a pseudo Christian, you know, cult. You know, in 1905, it's I, this is what it would look like, I guess, and these how are how
2: people would act. And but imagine um, how much better this movie is if that God is that goddess or whatever is just on the fringes, and well, you get snapshots of her, even snapshots of the grinder. You don't really, see, or maybe no, you see the grinder because he's like that kind of like I'm a big. H.P. Lovecraft sort of lore guy, yeah. You, know, you never see the actual ancient ones, the, the gods, because like the, the concept of seeing them goes beyond human understanding. Yeah. And so many of the characters here are on the brink of insanity for some reason or another. You know, Thomas has the entire torture and, and, and Dan Stevens of his face. is actually really, really, really good. At well, this Dan movie. Stevens is great in everything that I've seen him in. Like he's one of the reasons why we'll talk about a movie on my list in about ten weeks. He's the Biggest reason is on my list is yeah. he sells that character so well. Um, yeah, everyone in this is really good. Like Mark Lewis Jones is kind of like transition to insanity is earned, even though it's, it's okay. Yeah, but it's 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 a good horror movie secondary villain. But um, everyone's kind of on that brink of insanity. But there's like not there's there's like that craziness to it, and, and I'm okay with like seeing the grinder. You know, seeing that kind of like fundamental villain that is still a humanoid esque. But then when you see, like, when they tell you everything else you need to know about the goddess, and right, you yeah, see yeah, her yeah. and it's like... And it's for so, you get that, you have that
0: information for so long.
2: Yeah, and like, it, it, it ravages the mystery of it. It becomes, to me, it loses all of its horror around the first hour, and then becomes just a pretty proficient movie with really good moments of action. Mm. Like, it, it less becomes kind of, I think, besides that, that uh, cleansing scene, just because that is is shredded and shrouded in mystery itself yeah. like why are they putting flowers in a man's gaping brain hole um they never really explain that um but every other scene of like violence oh, that should like really get to you is just kind of like oh okay like even when you see um what's that character jeremy's like half mangled body having have been fed to the goddess you're just kind of like oh that's kind of gross but it's not horrific Right. And I wanted more horror, because I think the first, like, 20 to 30 minutes, maybe even the first, like, 40 minutes, like, give this good tread of horror. Like, when he first sees the, the the like, I think kind of loses after he sees the jars of blood, and he kind of pours the second blood, and, like, you see her really quickly. I think that works. Uh-huh. But then, like, right after that, when he goes, like, where he finally sees her in, in the blood tunnel and all that... And, and, like, Michael Sheen goes to her and, like, says, you know, we'll keep you changed. I think that's where it loses it for me. Um Has a horror film. It still keeps me... Yeah, that's. I mean,
0: that's the thing. I don't give a shit about horror films versus non-horror films. Yeah, like, I, guess, I, just, I guess I'm... I just a, kind of you know... want, to, I just want to enjoy it. Like, I... I I've, and I still enjoy it. I go it. into it knowing that it's not going to be... Like, there's no way this movie's going to be, like, find its way on my list ever. You know what I no, mean? No, yeah. So I'm just, like, looking to go... I'm looking to be convinced, like you know aesthetically and i want the narrative to be not so terrible that i'm just kind of like well i i can't care about literally any of this yeah no um, it, it
1: doesn't
2: or it, the
0: acting to be so bad that i'm just kind of like what what am i supposed to do with this guy now and it wasn't any of those things it was you know it, all it the was pieces. proficiently made um it was
2: narratively good to a point with some question marks um and it was really well acted yeah to me it's like it's like it's the. this is going to be a weird weird fucking metaphor it's like a lot of the pieces all fit together in the jigsaw puzzle, and it created a nice image in the end. It created an image in the end. It all fit together, but that image, to me, I was like, I don't want to see this. Yeah. I don't want to see this picture. I want to see something else.
0: Well, that's it was kind of and the one thing that I was really, really bummed. I was bummed about the, you know, the Michael Sheen kind of like – you know, oh, you showed yourself scene, but I was also bummed at the end when like he became like When I kind of saw I should have seen it coming. I kind of had like this nascent subconscious idea in my head that it was coming too. I just you know, you know, I I just didn't kind of want to believe that they would do something so unnecessary where he becomes like one with the you know, with the island. I was like, who cares? Who gives a fucking shit? Like, yeah, is, that, like... is Michael Sheen now gonna like just bleed into Dan Stevens's mouth for the, like the rest of his life.
2: Like, and, what like, are we get doing? Other people back for some yeah, reason. Who like, cares? How's he getting it off the island? Like it's kind of the idea. It's going to be a cycle that continues, and it's like, oh,
0: yeah, just. It was not necessary that,
2: that that nature goddess. I don't even want to say subplot because it's the main driving yeah. point. Just just doesn't work for me. But beyond that, you know, seeing a king's guardman almost get impaled by lost spears does work for me. Sure does, because it looks really good, and it's it's a good looking movie. It's, it's there's a lot of good lot of
0: spear body. shots in this movie.
2: Yeah, or a lot of good, a lot of good man have getting slowly pulled as a knife slowly goes through <laughs> his entire body. Yeah,
0: that was weird. But I good. liked it.
2: I liked it. Like I, I'm not saying like oh that was, was cool. It was cool. Like it's weird because like he does present violence in a way you're like what. Well, that's kinda of fucking I don't usually like to say like that's kinda of fucking awesome with violence. But maybe it's because it's like so well not natural. My the main
0: part the main time or the uh the time I said that watching this movie was when, you know, the grinder scene, he's got him hooked up by his hands. And like I was like, How is he gonna get out of this? And he gets <laughs> out of it by getting his fingers chopped
2: off and like rolling away, and I was like, Oh, awesome. It's cool. Yeah, that's a good way to do it. Or it's like when Jeremy's kind of hooked up, and actually this scene's kind of horrific, though, to me. But like you're like, oh, what's gonna happen here? Uh, I don't think I don't think it's gonna go all the. Oh, and you hear the cracking, and they, that's like the one time they don't really show the violence. Just like at first, just they show the aftermath, and you're like, oh, well, not even that's the not, one part. Where you're just
0: like, oh. not even that. I actually was really impressed in a kind of you know they killed that kid sense in watching it when. They're doing the um, tightening the vice on oh, his head. Oh, that's his point of view. Ah, oh, that was a good fucking and the scene, blood, man. The, eye, yeah. the bloodshot like eyes. Like the idea that they're gonna like it. Kind of it, it. It's like a little foreshadowing of what's gonna happen. In like a minute. Like, yeah. Yeah. We're going. We're going all the way in. I don't know what they're gonna do to him after this.
2: They're not gonna do anything good. Then, then when you see the crank, you're just like, oh, oh no. Yeah. Yeah. But definitely a movie worth watching if, if you're okay you with take that. It. Yeah. <laughs> if you're not okay with that don't watch this movie
0: yeah i made sure when i like went back like after i finished it that like i clicked the home button on my roku remote like several times to make sure that like when the kids turned it on after school that it wasn't just kind of like there like you know just ready to start whenever uh all right we'll be back with our 87s in just a second Welcome back. My number 87 is Brian De Palma's 1987 film, The Untouchables.
2: Oh, that's really convenient, Tom.
0: I hadn't realized that when I made my list, that that's how this worked out. Um, it stars Kevin Costner as Elliot Ness, who is combating Prohibition-era bootlegging by Robert De Niro's Al Capone in uh, 1920s Chicago. He is assisted by... Sean Connery as the straight-arrow cop Jimmy Malone, Uh, Andy Garcia as George Stone, the rookie, and Charles Martin Smith as Oscar Wallace, the government official who's sent to crack open Capone's books and try to figure out things that he can, you know, ways they can nail Capone using math, which is always very exciting. In movies even Brian de Palma can make math look vaguely interesting
1: yeah.
0: um this movie i think we've talked a lot about with you i think the weird movies that you saw as a kid that you probably shouldn't have seen as a kid yeah and i didn't really have any of those movies as that i saw like way too young um my movies for me that are like that occurred, seeing those movies occurred when I was like 12, 13 years old, um, it was this movie, it was a movie we're going to talk about later, um, Patriot Games, um, where I was confronted with an idea that I hadn't known existed before, and that idea is shooting somebody in the head. Which happens what happens. What happens after you shoot somebody in the head, Mario. Um, there is bone on the wall and brain matter and blood just comes shooting out of your
2: (laughs) shooting out of the back of your skull. It's fascinating. Or two hours of a Paul Greengrass movie. Or two hours of a Paul
0: Greengrass movie. Um, But I remember... Watch and I don't, I don't, remember, I don't. I wish I had the specific circuit. Like I could unlock the specific circumstances in my memory of of when I saw this movie and why I saw this movie as many times as I did. But it's when Oscar is shot by Frank Nitti, played by the great Billy Drago.
2: Billy Billy Drago. I let me cut him really quick.
0: Yeah, yeah.
2: Has a kid. One of my favorite actors. Um, I adored. Did you ever watch Adventures of Briscoe County, Jr.? Yes. Like his John Bly, the villain, I just fucking loved. It. If you ever get a chance, it was one season, I think. Adventures of Bruce County Jr. It's a Bruce Campbell vehicle. Yeah, yeah, it's great. Um, but he's
0: he's like so memorable as like this weird, sweaty, pointy faced villain that looks like he can't do anything other than kill people. Oh yeah, like <laughs> like, like in real what, life. What do you have?
2: He had that like pale writer and all those really yeah. bad eighties. And by really bad, I mean awesome 80s action films. And the great thing about this movie... Oh, I love Billy Drummer.
0: One of the great things... Yeah, I do too. Um, and one of the great things about this movie is that you kind of know... You know he's, a, he's the villain. Like, Capone is the villain. But he's the real villain. And you know he's the real villain very early on in the movie. So in that scene that I'm referencing, when Frank Nitti... Clo- you know, he's got his, he's got his head down. He's, he's hiding the fact that he's the cop in the elevator. Mm. When he closes the door... And the elevator door and looks up. Your first reaction, at least my first reaction when I was a kid, was like, oh, no! No! Not thinking that he would blow these two guys' heads off. Um. But he blew their heads off. And the shot of the elevator door opening, when Ness and Malone find them in the elevator, is... Just burned into my memory forever, and that's kind of the first time I think I encountered consciously the idea of like pointless death of like the futility of being a character in a movie where anybody can just shoot you in the face anytime you want like a good guy and not even like a cool good guy like he's the he's the accountant.
2: Yeah, like, you know he, mean? he has, he's like, just he has like, a
0: really kind of, like, guy.
2: miserable sort of death. And
0: he thought he was really cool. You know what I mean? He was he was carrying a gun, and he shot he all a, he those guys on that, on that bridge. bridge. Yeah. yeah,
2: he has that really, like, big
0: he was moment a hero for, yeah. for He was a hero for, like, a day. And then he gets shot in the head. Um, and it really, you know, it deeply affected me. I don't know if you have, I don't know if you're any, any of your crazy, you know, kid death movies. You
2: kind of were... Uh, My crazy kid death movies? Yeah. <laughs>
0: Those, those movies that you saw as a kid that kind of like oh. showed you, like, hey, pe- people just get killed.
2: Well, the way you made that sound was I was a big fan of child death in films.
0: Are there lots of those? Oh, I mean, well, now there are. Now 2018,
2: There in every, I mean, every movie as a There's a remake a child of that cemetery coming out. That's, that features all around a child death.
0: Well, I just remember having that conversation about it. When we were outside the theater, and we was like, "It'd be awesome if they showed
2: before we then, saw it." Before yeah. we
0: they saw it, we awesome if they showed him getting killed.
2: But we're like, and we're, we're like, like, they're not going to do, do it. And then, and then they, they fucking did it. And we both actually turned to each other in the theater and like hit each other on the arm, not because like we're excited about, it, because it was like, Ooh, I mean, it was kind of cool. It was cool in the sense that it was that uh, it felt very authentic to yeah to Stephen King's vision of like the horror. We both like hit each other they, they very excitedly. I can't
0: believe it! They did it! Oh my god! Um. But I feel like that's how I felt when I saw this movie. I was like, oh, I can't believe they killed a good guy. And his brains are all over this elevator. Um, which just sets you up for when Frank Nitti kills Malone with the Tommy gun in the alley of his apartment. And his, he just crawls with blood pouring out of his mouth and out of his body. And there's a long, human-sized streak of blood now through his apartment. Um... I didn't know what to do with any of those things when I was a kid, and they're just in my head now. And I think it's one of the reasons that, like, in the early Malone scenes, like when he's in the church with Ness, and he's kind of talking about.
1: What are you prepared to do?
2: Everything within the law. And then what are you prepared to do? If you open the ball on these people, Mr. Ness, you must be prepared to go all the way, because they won't give up the fight. Until one of you is dead. I want to get Capone. I don't know how to get him. Want to get Capone? Here's how you get him. He pulls a knife, you pull a gun. He sends one of yours to the hospital, you send one of his to the morgue. That's the
0: Chicago way. And that's how you get Capone. I still get kind of teared up because in my head, as a 12, 13-year-old, I was like, well, that's just really awesome. Like, that's what heroes say. Heroes say that stuff and they live at the end of movies. Heroes don't say that stuff and then get shot 50 times on the fire escape of their apartment. And then have to drag themselves down the hallway and die just puking up blood. You know what I mean? And that's... Yeah. that's uh, it's, those are profound things. And I don't know... I can't say precisely how they set the course for, like, other movies that I would watch and, and you know, how I would accept those movies and, or how I could look at those movies, not with my emotions, but, you know, analyze them and understand them better. But I know for a fact that when I first saw it, I didn't 100% understand it. And it was just a kind of visceral reaction to something like that. Um I mean, I'm not a big Brian De Palma guy. No, I, I do not like Brian De Palma. Um,
1: I
2: don't like Brian De Palma really at all. Me neither.
0: Um, this is really the And I don't even think
2: this... I might... even say the first Mission Impossible is the worst one. And I oh, saw it. And
0: I, I kind of liked the first Mission Impossible until it kind of lost the thread of its existence. And Which is what Brian De Palma kind People were just peeling of masks does.
2: off, and I was just like, okay, I'm all done. Which is like, that's my problem. Like, Brian De Palma always has a great idea, and he kind of loses the plot.
0: But I think one of the things that kind of drew me into this... I'll give him credit for drawing me into this movie in the sense that he made all of those scenes something that could stick in your head. You know what I mean? They don't look like normal scenes where that stuff happens. There's a lot going on, so the ca- I mean, when they find the body, the camera pans over, um, so you know, you get this kind of growing glimpse of, of like the blood inside the elevator. Um, there's a lot of really dramatic shots that kind of accentuate the dialogue. Um, so in that scene, I just referenced when they're in the church and he's, you know, talking about, you know, that's how that's the Chicago way. Um, there's a kind of, there's two camera things that he does. He does this really low angle shot where they're sitting in pews. So you can see Malone playing with, um, that Catholic pendant that he keeps with him, like yeah. the patron state of, of police officers and lost causes. Um, but he's just fumbling with it. And I think that's a great Sean Connery scene. That's a, that's a that's a professional actor who's been working for a long time who's like, you know, using his hands to kind of show emotion. Um, but the other one is you get this kind of like vaguely fisheye um, scene where it's like kind of over Ness's shoulder but you, because it's the, the the lens is so wide you get to see both of their faces. And Kevin Costner's really great. I've, and I love Kevin Costner. He's I've got a, a Kevin Costner movie very high up on my list. Um... But I like Kevin Costner best when he's kind of out of his element, and he is... Yeah, Kevin Costner gets a lot of shit, by the way. I mean, I he think doesn't so. deserve No, he doesn't, because he's really good at playing... He's really good at playing innocence. And not innocent in the sense that, like, they've never done anything wrong, but innocence in that he's really craving, like, he really wants to be a good guy. There's, like, a desperation to stay to stay good. And that's, I mean, that's Kevin Costner in a nutshell, but you can kind of see him eating. You can kind of see that eating at him Mm -hmm. throughout the movie and, and anything he's really good in, you can kind of see that, you know, him trying to reconcile one aspect of, or reconcile aspects of the world against who he feels he is. Um, and in that scene, you, you, get that really, you get that really good, so there's this guy who knows a lot, and, but he's unsure of himself, and then there's this guy who doesn't really know anything, but he's also unsure of himself, and it kind of builds, it kind of sets a, a tension point for the rest of the movie. Like, you don't know,
2: where is this going to go? You don't know what, you know, like like, how far they, they is do... this going to go? Like, the wall does a good job of, of setting the tone of, you know, the lines Ness is willing to cross very well, too. And I, and I think that's kind of like what you were saying is the fact of, like, it, it very much fundamentally kind of buries itself in, in Ness being a lawman, as you can hear in the background. Yeah, that's him coming.
0: Ness. We're running a bootleg hooch operation here in the yeah. little Film
2: Studios today. Um, but and yeah, he yeah, does well, a good job of naturally building on that. <sighs> My ultimate issue with the movie is I think the script sucks. I think David I, – I don't like the script to it. Right. I, I don't like the fact – like, why is Frank Nettie the villain, like, the main villain? Frank Nettie – I'm okay with historical exceptions. But Frank Nettie would go on to take over for Capone and then kill himself. Like, humorously, by the way, kill himself. He was, like, drunk and – and talk about shooting in the head. He tried to shoot himself like three times in the head before he's successful. Yeah. 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 What a um, fucking douche. That's what I love about the Chicago, like history thing, the Chicago. And this is the one nice thing about this film too, is, mm-hmm. is the fact that Capone's actually portrayed not as smart or intelligent, but as kind of a child. Maybe not. He's so like much. a goofball. Yeah. yeah. Not so much as a child as he was. Cause Capone was a joke of a mm-hmm. human being. I think something like boardwalk empire does a lot better job of portraying Capone for what he really was. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, the thing I love about the Chicago gangster outfit is just they were all just idiots. They're just idiots who just so happen to be lucky and really violent. Yeah, and you, I mean, you get a little bit of that in this movie in but the my, sense that
0: nobody—I mean, Ness can kind of do whatever he wants. You know, what I mean, he loses two guys through the course of the thing, but he always has like the next. You know, he's always on top of them.
2: Yeah, and and there's definitely like that that scene where. You know, somebody says, like, I don't like the proof of your means. And it's like, you know, yeah, I'm in the Chicago sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But it's just...
1: The Canadians. Yeah,
2: the Canadians. Um, there's just so many liberties and and weird story threads in this that just don't work for me. Um, like, using Frank Nitty as the villain. And like like I said, I'm okay with those liberties, but it's just, why? Why not create, like, a fictional... Just make the a villain. guy. Yeah, yeah, just make a guy. Just make a, a yeah. nonsense sort of non, non-existent man. I, I mean, we talked last week about um, 22nd July and, like, the, the, uh, you know, the Norwegians made a movie called Utoya U- um, U- July 22nd that is, like, a one-shot or mostly one-shot look at a woman who's on the island and she's just a fictional character. It's like, do that, you know? Just, mm. just you, you can, you're allowed to make these like fictional representations in order to kind of create a dramatic tension. But this just seems so outwardly absurd. And, like, there's so, I think this kind of builds into my bigger problems with this film is there's so many lines that just feel artificial. There's so many scenes that feel like they unnecessarily build tension. I don't like the stairway scene. Mm. at all. I think it's just meant to build tension in this really awkward, we'll go artificial back to that, yeah. way. Um, but we talked off-air about how, for, for me, this movie's always been kind of a joke in, in my group of friends. I saw it also at a young age. I actually saw it around 14 or 15. Mm-hmm. And so this is before the internet, well, it was around the time that internet meme culture, I guess, was starting to be created. Um, but it was a running joke with my friends uh, of, you know, De Niro's line, is component of, you know, I want him dead. I want his whole family dead. I want him in the ground, blah, blah, blah. And just his line reading. And, like, the line reading of that's odd, because De Niro's not great in this. No. De Niro's very much in there for a paycheck, it feels like. But Which is weird, because entire... he got fat for a paycheck. Yeah. like He know. did not Christian Bale this. Um, <laughs> no. But that line in itself just feels so odd and so unclean almost it feels dirty it, yeah. it, 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 it feels like like I, I think Mamet overall is a, a good writer mm-hmm. you know Glingler and Ross I think is amazing and I think, Glingle- I think I think Mamet's actually really good at creating really memorable lines but this is an example for me of where he just kind of like didn't do his due diligence in the work it, it feels sloppy very sloppy is kind of the word I'm
0: yeah sloppy him. is actually a perfect um a perfect word you get a gold star for that one um
2: I'm, I, re, you have not told me where my rewards are, so I'm starting to feel that this <laughs> is
0: different than the Gold Star system. Um, is
2: a, I think that uh,
0: I think the combination of David Mamet and Brian De Palma is kind of a weird combination because um, Mamet oh, <laughs> Elliot Ness is not like it. that. Um, <laughs> Mamet is all about the script, and and I've heard him speak about about like actors and and performing things and where his feeling is that like actors should just, they should just act. You shouldn't do that many rehearsals or any rehearsals. It's just, you know, the script is the script, you know? Um, But I feel like Brian De Palma was really into making, he really wanted to make a hit movie. I, I watched one of the extra like bonus features on the DVD um, leading up to this, and he kind of said that he had kind of, he had a couple of of non hits on his hand, and he was really looking to make a hit movie. And there's a lot of weird 1980s um, like catchphrases running through this movie. And when David Mamet does a catchphrase, it's something like we talked about in Glen Gary Glen Ross, where you know it's it's a it's a visceral expression of something that gets. But that also carries a lot of character weight. Um, but in this, there's a lot of like dubbing of, there's a, a lot of line dubbing. So yeah, when Kevin Costner, there's a lot of
2: weird ADR stuff going on. Yeah. There.
0: So when Kevin Costner's like, "Let's do some good, gentlemen," it's he's clearly not saying that in. He's clearly not saying that in context. It's clearly been dubbed. Yeah. Um, which leads, I think, to the you slop- next to Jackson Maine thing <laughs> <that> line, <laughs> um, which leads. ...to the thinking of the sloppiness. And there's a couple of scenes that are edited weird... ...where, like, after... ...after Oscar gets killed... ...they're in that house... ...and, you know, they're talking about... ...oh, we gotta get him, we gotta get him... ...and... ...Elliot says something to Stone... ...and then Stone walks away from him... ...in the shot... ...and then the shot... ...and it's going to close up... ...but then the shot changes... ...to a kind of medium shot... ...where you can see... ...most... ...them in, in some of the room... And even though Stone has already turned around and walked away, you see him turn around and walk away again? Yeah. And it's like, I thought... I mean, we're both Pauline Kale people. You know what I mean? We like and respect Pauline Kale. We're both... You know, spent a lot of time listening to the Brett Easton Ellis podcast and what have
2: used, you. Used to, used to spend a lot of time.
0: These are people, but these are people that love fucking Brian De think he was a great filmmaker. Well, because they
2: all fucking love Blowout. But do great filmmakers make movies? She loves Blowout, I assume, right? I, I never. She did.
0: Lo- um, I don't remember if she loved Blowout, but Brett Easton Ellis loved Blowout. Yeah, so and Quentin Tarantino have. loved Blowout. So she, yeah. yeah, she must. Have. She loved Casualties of War, which is a, you know, um, <laughs> she, a Vietnam movie.
2: She was a, she was a big Michael J. Fox. Well, she famously ended
0: that review. that's
2: Charlie Sheen is was Charlie Sheen in that as well. No, it's no, Sean
0: Penn. Sean Penn. Okay. Um,
2: no, Charlie Sheen's in Platoon. I thought it might have been. But
0: there. like, do great? Is this how great filmmakers make films? You know what I mean? With all these weird kind of accidents
2: in well, it. There's, there's like, I, th- I think a thing too. Like talking about right after um, Oscar's death when Ness <gasps> goes to confront Capone, like in that hotel scene, they're going down the stairs. You don't even like really know Capone's You just see like a body of like gangsters like, it doesn't focus on... There, there's,
1: You're right. i noticed that, too. There's a good too. set of,
2: like... We always talk about a, a sense of place and a sense of setting. You know, like, we really fucking hate... Like, you know, the band establishing shots or whatever. But, like, you have to, like, set a tone. It just looks like there's random gangsters coming down. And he's yelling at him, And it takes it until it finally settles on Capone to be like, Oh, oh Capone's he's right there. in the middle yeah. of them. But that's... I mean, I think that's... I mean, I didn't look back at it. I wouldn't be surprised if De Niro wasn't even in that first shot.
0: That's true. Um... And that kind of leads me to what you were talking about with the, um, you know, the the stairs, you know, the famous stairs scene. Like, when I went to Chicago, I've been to Chicago f- several times in my life, and every time I've been there, because this movie has such a hold on me... They have me, a great quarry. <clears throat> like, was it Soldier Field?
2: No, there's a big quarry if you're going down I-80. It's oh, okay. Just, it's just, it's um, like, oh, welcome to Chicago. Have you been
0: to the... I've never have been, you been to the train station proper, no. Okay, so I, every time I've been there, I gone to stop into the train station just to look. And you know, you you know, it's it's the train
2: station. It's a very Odessa like.
0: I'm thinking in my head now that I'm watching it and now that I have like the frames of reference and there is um I'm thinking that he didn't do that to steal.
2: No, it was, I'm no thinking homage. he
0: did it just in homage, but I also think he did it because he thought it would be cool.
2: Mm. You know what I mean? Like, this yeah, no, a I'm, cool not, thing to I'm do. not at all criticizing that. I, I I I criticize it in the fact that it uses a lot of kind of very obvious film techniques to build tension. Right. Um, like, obviously, the baby going down the stairs is whatever. Uh, that's that's the homage. Um, but just, like, everything being in slow motion, it Every other person being shot, oh, and yeah. the baby carriage getting shot, but it just being above the baby, and that stone and that, just
0: comes out of nowhere from that,
2: like really the great Call baseball slide. style infinite warfare baseball slide. <laughs> Like he's got like apparently <laughs> propulsion in his legs to do it.
0: But that's the thing that I notice now. It just it, it feels so <clears throat> weird. And that's but and so that's the thing that I'm drawn to now. That like 2018, I'm, I'm you know 36, and I'm, I'm watching a movie that I love again. I'm I'm fucking all, I'm still all in, but I'm noticing these I'm noticing these things, and it almost seems like Brian De Palma's overly concerned about making a cool movie, yeah. than making like a really good movie. So, I
2: mean, I think... Which I think is, like, a prop, like, look at Scarface. Scarface is another no, movie I don't that talk tra- about fucking Scarface. Well, that's a movie that's trying to be cool yeah. and fails on every level because that movie fucking sucks.
0: Scarface is,
2: is terrible. If you like Scarface, you can stop listening to our podcast.
0: And then I'm perfectly comfortable if anyone wants to send us a bunch of hate mail, like, saying, you gotta love Scarface. I don't fucking have to love Scarface. Scarface stinks. I'll debate it. Um, but, so I wrote down some things. Like, so like obviously Michelle it has Feiffer. a screenplay... Yeah, I like Michelle Pfeiffer. But I like Michelle Pfeiffer <laughs> in everything. <laughs> everything so yeah, we're yeah. kind of... You know, I,
2: I'm talking about like performance beyond yeah. like anything else. Um,
0: you got a screenplay by David Mamet. And in 1987, that was awesome. You got costumes designed by Giorgio Armani. You got a really? Sco- I, yeah. did, I did not know that. You got a score.
1: Oh, for,
2: that score is fucking great.
0: I want to say something about the score. You got a score by um, Anil Morricone. That's a big... I mean, that's a, from a production value standpoint... What that's wins,
2: the, what wins that year? For score? Yeah. Not, not that one. Well, I know it doesn't win. I forget what wins. Okay, keep Look
0: talking. Um, that's a that's a cool lineup. You know what I mean? And the score is awesome to a point, because then there's times where they use the score where it's just too. It doesn't make any sense. It's almost it's a kind of blasted out version of, of a typical noir crime score you know, where it's got this, you know, these kind of vaguely uh, electronic elements, there's almost a little bit of... It's obviously not distortion, but the way that those kind of synthetic horns are blowing lends itself to a little bit of distortion, just like that you just heard. Um, And it's really really stylistically cool when something that warrants that is happening. But, like, when they're waiting um, for, in Canada... To you know, to to get the, the truckload of of, of of liquor that's going to be delivered, they still they're doing some of the same like it's the same score. And it's like, well, you have this very naturalistic environment. Why are you using this score? Like, what is the point? Like, get abandon. The, last like, last
2: emperor won that year, by the way, and that gave oh, yeah, David the, Byrne an Oscar. So I'm not gonna I'm not gonna argue. Yeah, that's fine. David Byrne can. Congratulations, me. David Byrne. Um, You're great. Just, we love you. He leans too heavily on the cool. And I just
0: sometimes I wanted him in you know, in two thousand eighteen to not worry about how cool anything is and just make the fucking movie. You know what I mean? And just like you've built up all this tension, just let it hang by itself. You don't need to do all this wah,
1: wah, wah all the yeah, time. And
2: that's that's my I I guess that is kind of a big problem too, is like you have a lot of very proficient people yeah. working in this, but they kinda like are working overtime and it's like, cool the jets, you know, like bring it back, you know, a bit. Um I think if I say when David Mamet's script is sloppy, I, I think it's just it's it's overwrought, you know. And, like, the direction at times is overwrought. Which is and one of
0: the things I, I tend to think that David Mamet... Costume
2: design. I, or the costume design's pretty slick. Costume design's good. You got that, Armani. Yeah.
0: um I, I tend to think that Mamet's control over the script ended at a certain point and And Brian De Palma really wanted some trailer lines in there.
2: Well, De Palma did a lot of backtracking afterwards, I think. And said, you know, that this is Mamet's movie. It's not right. I mean, I just directed it, but it's mostly Mamet's movie. So you you have to kind of, like, I presume guess. that there's something. I just can't but imagine. But the fact that they backtracked makes you do think that that did happen. I
0: just can't imagine David Mamet writing a line like, let's do some good. Or, you know, that thing that he screams at Capone at the end. Um, after Capone's been convicted guilty yeah. of, of tax evasion, he's like, "Oh, you keep fighting till the fighting's over," or whatever he says. It's like, "What the fuck?" And Capone's like, "What? What is that?" And I, as, a, as also a viewer, the sound
2: design in that's terrible too because I can barely hear what Ness is saying because. It, but then he's overdubbed. But then, even when he's overdubbed, I'm like, "What?
0: Huh? Mm-hmm. Okay."
2: The background noise is still pretty loud. It's weird. It's one of
0: those. It's it's one of those weird movies that's written, that's directed and made by really competent people. But when you watch it with a really critical eye, and you're not just looking to be like astounded by visuals and and things like that, you're kind of like, "Why did that? Why is that like that? Why I, did
2: they do this?" And I think through the lens of time, when you're seeing, you know, Scorsese hasn't really. I mean, my opinions of Goodfellas aside. Scorsese hasn't really jumped onto the scene heavily yet to kind of do his gangster film thing, and and you know filmmakers since have kind of pushed in that the gangst that kind of I think maybe more perfected the gangster film tone. Yeah, it seems kind of like a incomplete. Movie. And it's
0: it's funny. I mean, that's a uh, especially astute point when related gold star point? to, yeah, gold star for sure. Two gold
2: stars in one
1: <laughs> discussion. <laughs> We're
0: thinking about De Niro in the sense that De Niro stinks in this movie, except for the fact that he's fat. He's just being De Niro, you know, like a, it's cliched as cliche De Niro as you can get. He's not even yeah. attempting to do like a Chicago accent. He's not attempting to do anything different than he'd ever does ever, but it's
2: funny. And Like bail did work with David O. Russell and David O. Russell's not even a good director.
0: <laughs> um, it's weird to think that this movie is so pre-Goodfellas, because in Goodfellas, he seemed really well-calibrated.
2: Yeah, no. And, he's... you know,
0: he was doing some really excellent, like, acting and and um using, you know, using the camera and using his body and using his space. But, like, you know, he gained all this weight to use Capone, but he doesn't use his body to do anything. He's just a fat
2: guy walking around.
0: You know what I mean? He's got no... Sense of himself, he's just delivering lines in like the most mobstery
2: way is possible. It, is it possible Robert De Niro just wanted to get fat? It's po- yeah, it and is possible. Like, he I'll liked, take this role. He liked doing that to the end of the Raging Bull. He Was like, yeah,
0: I can. want
2: it. I wanna, it's been seven years. I need to get fat again. <laughs> and Brian De Palma was
0: like, you don't have to. It's fine. He's like, no, I, I want it.
2: No, it's good. It's good. We're gonna do it. You get fat, but um, just to bring it all back. So, so the reason this movie shows up in your list where it is is because of the fact that it kind of introduced you to those darker themes of what could happen to a hero. Right, and like I said a couple of weeks and ago And like, the fact that a hero has to be take questionable means at times. Well not even it's
0: it's it's this is one of those things where I'm gonna I'm gonna hedge yes, there's all those things, but like the aesthetics of this movie allowed for that those things to be implanted in my film watching psyche. You know what I mean? Mm. Um so it's the visuals of those things and like we're going to talk about with Patriot games and you know I don't know how many weeks a bunch of weeks um, you know it prepared me to understand when an IRA operative shoots a gun into a car with a kid in it yeah to understand it on a level beyond like the shock of like that a kid might die And understand it on a narrative level, and understand it on the level of um, film appreciation rather than just kind of like what it is. Um, You know.
2: That's the Untouchables. that's was perfect. the Untouchables, baby. All right, we'll be right back with my number 87. A few weeks ago at number 90, we talked about Metropolis. A film that I didn't find particularly great from a plot standpoint, great from a direction standpoint, and you know, technical standpoint, but that I found it pivotal in the way that it shaped history. There could be other films on this list, and this is the first one at '87, that was shaped by history itself and then played a great role in being a doorway to the time and also influencing films that would come. And the culture that would come. My number 87 is Vittorio De Sica's 1948's Bicycle Thieves. Or, as it was improperly known in America for decades because of a translation era. Error. Error. That's an error right there. (laughs) The Bicycle Thief. Bicycle Thieves tells the tale of Antonio, an out-of-work Italian, as most Italians were in post-war Italy, who finds a position as a poster hanger. However, this position requires a bicycle. He has recently pawned his bicycle for food, and so he is forced to pawn his bedsheets to get the bicycle back. He starts his job. He has a sense of pride and that reaffirmed masculinity. As he starts his job on his first day, he goes, hangs some posters, and as he sets off on his own couple of thieves steal his bicycle and from there him and his son bruno set about the city to find his bicycle ultimately and this is a spoiler failing and the reason that the title of bicycle thieves is important is that at the end defeated knowing that he'll never get back his bicycle antonio decides to try to steal a bike of his own and fails and is Accosted by the people who he tried to steal from, and, and you know, and anyone else and, who was on the, and the street, buys, yeah. and you know, very, very strong arm pushing, what are mm-hmm. you doing, sort of thing. <laughs> um, and you see that this horrible cycle is continuing. Mm-hmm. The reason that Smooth shows up on my list is the fact that I was first introduced to French New Wave at a younger age, I did not at all respond the French new wave. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to find out why. And so I looked into Italian neorealism, knowing that Italian neorealism was really sort of the catalyst to the French new wave. Mm -hmm. And I fell in love with Italian neorealism because while the French new wave to me felt, and I don't know if this is, this is an inaccurate sort of feeling felt inauthentic felt Mm. somewhat artificial as though there was a distance to the films. New realism to me felt very much of the time. And maybe it's because it's so close to the end of world war two and, and you have the descriptions of history with it and you know what the times were like, Mm. because that's what's taught to you in school, but you felt it. So, to give us some backstory, Benito Mussolini was actually a big film fan. Even more than seeing film has propaganda, he actually saw the cultural significance in film. He was a fucking piece of shit, by the way. But so I don't think anyone's <laughs> a <are> pro Mussolini. <laughs> well, I'm gonna let say like he liked the culture of it, but just know he was he was pretty awful. He was a real film buff. <laughs> yeah, Mussolini. Um, but he did found so he did found the film the Venice Film Festival in 1933. And then the 1935, he found the Cine City or the Cinema City uh, collection, uh, a large film studio to kind of get the Italian cinema
1: mm-hmm.
2: back on track. However, at that time, a lot of the films being promoted promoted these fascist ideas. They were called the uh, the Telefono Bianca Bianca. I do not know Italian films. The White Telephone films. <laughs> these were. Emulations of 1930s Hollywood comedies are the Hungarian-style comedies, kind of based on the plays coming out of Mm -hmm. Hungary in the 1920s and 30s. They promoted very socially conservative ideas, the country, a very delineated state of class. Mm. Um, You know, these really antiquated ideas that are becoming popular again in... America. In modern America. And modern everywhere. Yeah, Jesus. Um, but they very much emulated and promoted the fascist values. Mm. You know, even the little kids in it had those Shirley Temple-style curls, you know. Mm. And they're called the white telephones because everyone, when they had a phone conversation, picked up those pearl white telephone that was mm-hmm. kind of known for the rich class. And around this time, there's a bunch of film critics of the magazine Cinema um, the editor-in-chief of that was actually Benito's son, Vittorio Mussolini. Um, and they were like, this is bullshit. <laughs> this does not at all show Italy for what it is. Italy, you know, people were starving. They were hungry. Mm-hmm. The, the war was tearing it apart. You look at the destruction of Rome after Mussolini's downfall. Um, the Germans occupy Italy. Um to kind of reimpose that 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 fascist front, but they weren't allowed to attack fascism in general. So they attacked these white telephone films. Hmm. And the first of its kind was the uh, Luciano Visconti films, 1943's "Obsession." It was an adaptation of James A. M. Cain's uh, "The Postman Always Rings mm-hmm. Twice," but it was really spectacular in the sense that and this is the movie I really enjoy. I love, so many Neorealism movies I love. Um, Whereas the white telephone movies focused in on close-ups, you know, look at the face of this beautiful actor and actress, you know, who, who have built their lives to be an actor and actress. Sure. These were medium shots, showing the dirt of Rome, showing the dirt of the Italian city, showing the machinations of the world around them, showing the world for what it truly was. Mm-hmm. You know, the fact that everything wasn't harmonious, the fact that these class divides didn't do any good. And this movie, the cop was screened <laughs> for the fascists and for the church at the time. Um, the fascists took a copy of the film and burned it. And actually, the church spread holy water in the cinema where it was screened because they deemed it sacrilege. Huh. Luckily, he kept a, a co, like a negative yeah. copy of it. Um, you know, Roberto Rossellini would then later on do in 1945 Rome Open City you know, which is this really dark tale of um, a resistance force in in the last days of of German occupation Mm -hmm. of Rome. Um, This priest, you know, helping the resistance and, you know, being betrayed by this woman who just gets a fur coat and drugs. And in the end, he gets put against a wall, you know, like they, they try to like downplay the role of God and whatnot and try to like convince him. You know, like that the people he supported were atheists and whatnot. He holds stands fast to his convictions, but the church itself is, you know, turned against him. And he, gets, you know, he eventually, in the end, um, gets put against a firing squad by Italians. But the Italians refuse to shoot him. So a German soldier comes up and shoots him in the head, and you know, shoots him—not only goes in the head but kills him. Yeah. Um, and it kind of pans away to show the basilica and all that, to show like how the, the coldness of the church. Mm-hmm. And these films. While they were attacking kind of the purity of the images the films were before them, they were truly making a statement of the time. And these are all great films. But for me, Bicycle Thieves is the one movie that I feel is the first film that is on my list that I feel is an important, a truly important film to see for its context because it's timeless. Hmm. It's a movie I saw when I was really young. I saw it when I was about 12. You know, and it actually made an impact to me because it's a very simple story. You know, you could tell this man's desolate and poverty. You know, he. it it opens with him, his name being called, and he's just given up. He's, you know, sitting on the ground just kind of yeah. done with it. Yeah, you know, has these hundreds, I mean, about 30, but because, you, yeah, you know, they don't have a lot of money for this type of movies but you know you have this group of men just begging for jobs and you know this is everyone at this time. Mm-hmm. These long panning shots of these rows of fascist created blocks of buildings, you know.
0: Well that's I mean in to Yeah, they're dark movies. This is a dark Movie. It's a simple movie, but it's also a beautiful
2: movie. No, oh, it's gorgeous. It, and and for all of its uncleanliness, and all of its in the dirt, it is a, a sight to behold. Oh yeah. Um. But you know, you see this desolation in it, and regardless of of your knowledge of the history, you know, you can see this at any point in history, and you know that there's people like this who have given up, and then they get an opportunity and they pursue that opportunity, and they have to sell whatever they have to claim for this opportunity. And that's a, that, that shot to me is the, the such a profound, quiet moment, and you don't see a lot of this in cinema of the age where they sell their bed linens and the guy has to climb, climb all the way up yeah. 30 feet to put another pile of bed linens, and you just see rows and rows of bed linens. You know this is a, a, a small tale. One tale out of thousands of tales that's been told over and over again. Yep. And, you know, this, the Sika does this, does this great, just there's so many, it, it's such a proficiently done, intelligent film. The, just looking at the title of the film, and when he goes upstairs to see his wife talking to the soothsayer and leaves the, the bicycle. In that moment, you're like, oh, this is where the bicycle's, the bicycle's gone, but it builds tension and it's so intelligent so proficient and just it brings you down into the dirt it brings you in every single moment every single glimmer of hope it gives you and then it just pulls you well
0: back. i mean so you know you talked about the differentiation between you know um the french new wave and italian Neo realism and how there's a distance in french new wave and i'm thinking the first thing that pops into my head is the shot um or the sequence in um, Truffaut's The 400 Blows, where the kids are running through the street, and you get this overhead shot of, of the streets, and there's these kids just kind of peeling off and going in their own different directions, um, which is clever and fun and something we'll talk about later. Um, but it's one of the things I noticed in watching this again, and I mean, I've, I've seen this before, but I, haven't, I hadn't seen it in a while, um, is it stays, it just stays on the ground. Yeah. It just stays in front of the people. It's sometimes the cameras pulled way far back, like right after, um, um, Antonio gets the job and he's, he's, you know, he's going to tell his he meets his wife at the place with they water. Bruna, yeah. And you see the, you know, the blocks and the fences, the, the block apartment buildings and the fences and kind of like the desolation of where they are set against this, I'm assuming is, you know, beautiful blue skyline. We're going to see it as, as, as a kind of light gray. Um, well you see but it's it's just feel it's the camera's is is just there. It's just right next to them. So it can just kind of pull up next to them as he's walking. It doesn't there's no skyline shots. There's no there's none of these big breathtaking, you know, moments of you know, cap, trying to capture Italy as like a tourist attraction or something. No, it's it's I,
2: down on the ground. This is what these people see every day. And the thing I, I get in that shot too is I do see, you know, you see I, I think there's a lot of colour in this film. Even though it's a black and white yeah, yeah, film. Yeah. Like like talking about the shot <gasps> you know, you could see the sky. I do see the sky as blue because you could tell like it, it's a light. You could tell it's a bright, sunny day. Yep. So you see, you could tell it's a blue, beautiful blue sky. But then you see the blocks of the buildings and you see the ground and all you can feel is that the ground is just that dirty brown dirt, you know, like, mm. like a desert almost or, or desolation and that the, the buildings are that soulless concrete gray you know and just kind of everything i think in this movie because of its intimacy mm. you know i mean it definitely holds back and gives you a lot sh- long shots of the of the city while showing you these characters just to show you what the city truly is like mm. to show you the fact that the city is still recovering from the war and that people are still struggling and starving and the city's still nowhere you know that that europe in, gen- in general is, is struggling um but there's such an intimacy to it, mm. too, that, that you add in, at least I did, add, in, add it in the color myself. That... I, I think
0: that's, um, that's a gold star comment. Um, oh, in the sense that... I'm rolling <laughs> in the with gold stars. Because um, I noticed that, too, when, when the scene where he confronts
2: the thief... In the, in the brothel.
0: And then, No, but after the brothel, when they've okay. got him outside, they're kind of Oh, right, around and like,
2: it. he's in the, his, the thief's neighborhood.
0: You get the proximity, because of all the people. Um, the buildings seem, you know, really close together in these, they, you know, it seems like they had these tiny cobblestone streets, and you've got people shouting from windows. Um,
2: <laughs> and the mother shouting, that's not my boy, my boy would never do that. It's
0: almost like reading a really great novel in the sense that you can picture everything it has been described to you. Like, it's black and white in the sense that, like, it's black ink on a white page. Um, But you can see it. You can see all of it. It, And has there ever been an attempt to colorize this? I don't don't know. Not that I know of. I would would
2: not pursue that. (laughs) But I was going to
0: say, what would be the point? Like, because you're going to miss... I mean, even this... I mean, that fucking amazing shot where, you know he wakes up in the morning and he, like the bicycles are unleashed and there's just a bunch of guys riding bicycles to work, you know, set against like a rising sun over, over a river and through a park. And it's just like, you can, you can almost feel that stuff, but it's just a black and white movie and it's really simple. And it's, you know, it's just the, the camera never does anything except, except pan around and look, you know what I mean? Mm. It's not, there's no tricks. Yeah, which is you know
2: no. There's there's this film does not employ tricks. Really, it's very much is what it is. So did you style. just? I, I mean, and I, I, you have like a whole bunch of stuff
0: to say. I just want to ask the question. Like, I'm assuming you would just watched this again to do yeah. this. So, podcast,
2: right? <laughs> the interesting thing about this film, and I, I think this <laughs> this is, is going to be something that probably will be common on both of our lists. Mm. I did not watch this film in, in several years. Mm. Um, by several years, I mean I was about twenty two or twenty three. I watched it immediately after we did our last podcast. Yeah, I had had a couple beers already. I had another one, <laughs> um, and I was like, well, "I fucked up." I think this should be much higher on my list. Yeah. Oh yeah, I, I think it's that profound. It, it, just the fact that like I didn't, I thought it spoke to me on an elementary level. Yeah, before I, go, I understand what you mean, um, it doesn't. It speaks. it speaks to you on every level. Well, I had the same experience. This is, this, this was in the 1960s. Like, Sight and Sound's, like, considered this the, the best movie well, so, of yeah. the year. And, and it, I think I think this, I think it's without argument, this might be the best made film ever for me.
0: Yeah. I mean, Roger Ebert kind of... That did.
2: I still see a lot of movies. So. Roger
0: Ebert talks about that a little bit in his great films essay where he says that... Where he calls
2: it The Bicycle Thief. Translation yeah, nerd.
0: And he says the same thing. He says in 1952, when they did the sight and sound poll, it was number, it was the greatest film of all time. In sixty. In 62, it was in sixth place, and then the, the year off, it was gone. The year after,
2: it was gone. And that's an interesting thing. I don't know why. Like,
0: but I think, I mean, I have some theories related to the idea of how simple it is, and how... N- the things that we've become accustomed to, so we can actually do a, a fairly interesting juxtaposition between, you know, the bicycle, bicycle Thieves and the Untouchables, in the sense that at, at a certain point, a certain kind of visual aesthetic was required of films. And you can't really make this movie anymore, and people don't really know what to do with this movie, and you can't even really watch this movie anymore. You know what I mean? It's
2: How so? That was a pretty
0: loud. Because it's so anachronistic to everything that we currently understand about about the visual arts.
2: Oh, it's I just, see. it It's from a technical standpoint. Right.
0: It's just so simple, and it's so quiet, and the emotions are so real. I mean, he was. You know, um, we're going to butcher this, Lamberto Majorani. I said it with an Italian accent. That's <laughs> yeah. the only way I know how to say I keep, it. Thank you, doing it too. He was a non-actor.
2: No, he, so the... I, I believe his son had gone into audition for Bruno. Mm-hmm. The Cico was like, I, whatever, and looked at him as like you. Um, and his saying story's, his story's tragic too. We'll talk about that in a bit. Just but talk about the real world, at, you know, applications of this film. But
0: it's like a, it's almost like a silent film. Like the dialogue is almost unnecessary. You get it all just from, like the, you know, Bruno and um, Antonio's faces are so expressive and so real. That when, you know, when they're going into the restaurant to get a pizza, and Bruno's just looking over at the other table, like, looking at the other kid eating, like, you know, bowl after bowl of and pasta. And the
2: kid keeps looking back at him with his disdain, you, this quiet disdain. Without
0: Ricci telling him, you know, about how hard up they have it for money, you understand you understand how the class system here works. You get it. Yeah. Without having hit, like, to have any of that described to you.
2: Because I, I, I tried to do some of the math. It was hard to do the math, but... Um, just because it's just not there. Uh, I think Antonio says something in the fact though, and just to show his, how far removed he is from any sort of class structure, so to just show how, in a sense, to talk about untouchable, he's like an untouchable, you know, to, to steal euphemism from like Hinduism, in the sense of, he says like to, in order to eat pasta like that, you'd have to earn something in the era of what would be $8,600 a month mm. now. Like, like that's what he's. I forgot how many, how much he says. Like three. What's well, like a
0: million lire or something? Yeah, a
2: million lire a month, um, and that works out to about like eighty six hundred dollars a month now. So it's so it's just he doesn't even have a conceptualization of of, of what even a middle class would be. Mm. You know, he's these people are just so eviscerated by the world.
0: Well, but and it's funny because we talked about this a little bit last week when we talked about um, twenty two July. Where there's a clear, there's a clear villain and there's clear heroes. Um, and I think one of the things that I love about De Sica's movies and, you know, Umberto D is
2: kind of the same way. Um. Another fucking amazing movie. Right.
0: And I like that. I actually like this one a little more than I like that one, but for reasons we don't have to talk about because it's just comparing two movies. But I, I also like Umberto D. I think,
2: D. I think if you're, I think, I, the, I, I think I, everyone should see Bicycle Thieves and in the same token everyone should also see Umberto D sure. and Shoeshine.
0: Um. I just, I like the actors in Bicycle Thieves more. I think they're doing, I think they're doing more things. I like the, I like the quiet of, of Bicycle Thieves more. Bruno,
2: um, Enzio, stay stay Staiolo. I don't know. Enzio is, that kid's a fucking, that's one of the best child performances. Oh man, he's so good. You've seen. Um, just the concern on his face. Jesus. i so fucked up playing
0: this solo. The, this movie, there's no villains you know what i mean no because just, the kid that the, you know, it, it's, it's an just, abstract it's such it's, a it's great an abstract fucking scene where you know he goes he gets the cop so the cops are always around and you know roger in roger Ebert's great movie review he kind of makes a sense that like the cops don't care but the cops seem to understand what's at stake here and they they, understand well, that, like, kids they keep mo- asking antonio hundreds of bicycles you know, there's, where are they going to find, and it's, it's, you know, where are they going to find this bicycle, where the hell are they going to find it, they don't know, look for it, you made a complaint, if you find it, you can get your bicycle back, because you made this complaint, you know, all the bicycles have license numbers, or whatever, you know, the viewer knows that this kid stole that, stole his bike, you know it, but when he takes, when the cop, who, you know, there's a cop around, Bruno runs and gets a cop, when he's being accosted by the kid's neighborhood, Bruno gets a cop, and the cop says, "Okay, you know, let's go see your apartment. Let's go look in your apartment. They live in one room. You know what I mean? These people aren't any better off than than Antonio
2: is. Yeah, and it's, it's built. It's built this kid up to be such like an, a villain and a
0: scallywag, as it were. Right? And he's, like he's
2: just he's in the same dirt. You know? Right.
0: And that's exactly what I was going to say is that everybody here is, you know, except for the family eating all the pasta and maybe the people at the soccer match. I don't know." are all in the same fucking boat and they're all trying to get like there's well, I think, the, there's no heroes and villains here it's, there's a well, bunch of people scuffling and trying shown to get ahead. That just
2: fucking amazing ending you know where Love Antonio it. goes to steal the bike and the guy sees it, sees him and goes no um, you know he's not, got it hard enough yeah let it go you know and, and and no i i don't think that's founded what Ebert said i i think the officer like says to very much makes it obvious. Can you say this? Can you do this? You know, it, it shows a level of empathy, but a level of just being worn down. And this movie is just about being Pete down. Every by, right. force is such abstract. And this is what I love about neorealism. And, you know, like some films like Rome, open city, very much have a titular sort of villain, um, not titular, but a, a very definitive villain. Um, a lot of, neorealism just says that there are these forces outside of understanding mm-hmm. but forces that are society, that society has created that the world creates that that recreate that beat us down and yes Tom he's raising his hand no no now. go ahead finish yourself. Um that, that just you, you this film is something I see and, and you can touch I mean it's simple Yeah, but it says, it has these quiet valleys. Oh, yeah. Um, It's simple, it's plot machinations and all that, but there's these, what could be unfilled, and I I wouldn't necessarily agree that's so simple in the sense of, you know, you would would expect a a protagonist and antagonist, and so there's all these, like, hollows within it, Mm. but these hollows are filled by this unmeasurable void of, of... timeless void that, that every person at every time deals with.
0: Well, the thing I think, the movie, the thing that I think is great about this movie, um... Everything. As a, you know, everything, yes. Well, everything except the score. I don't like the score. Yeah, that's what I think saying. the score is kind of intrusive and unnecessary. Um, but... So you made that comment about how... You know, how everyone's trying to kind of there's all these hidden forces that are keeping people like, you know, keeping people down. But there's also this sense that there's like hidden forces, and I'm making air quotes, um as well that are keeping people up. So, mm. he's got this friend who just is willing to stop work and stop yeah. rehearsing his play to talk to him about his stolen bike and to help him find his stolen bike. Um the kid that, you know, that stole the bike you know, there's all these people that are willing to defend him. There, that are willing to go to bat for him. There's the guy like you just said that lets him, that lets him leave. This says this guy's got it bad enough. Um, there's,
2: there's a real sense of community. Yeah,
0: there's a sense of community, but there's also a sense of everyone's perceived humanity. So nobody is perceiving anybody so much as the villain or the hero. The hero. Um, just kind of blindly, everyone seems to understand what's at stake here, and it's what's at stake is like someone's life um and I suppose in another movie, you know that whole neighborhood that was you know you know had um, Antonio pegged up against a wall would have you know killed him or ripped him to pieces or yeah, whatever. And they just want him out
2: they just want him out of just there.
0: exactly um they know they understand what's happening here, but they're also going to defend their family
2: and you could see. I mean, I, I think uh, I, the, the fact that that last shot makes sense, and the fact that like the fact this movie was called Bicycle Thief for the longest time is a disservice to it, in my opinion. I think a lot of you know modern critics' opinions is um, that term Bicycle Thieves, you know, kind of has a dual layer. You know, it it shows one the actual bicycle thief with his compatriots. You know, that guy that kind of yeah. like falsely leads them down the wrong path. But bicycle thieves adds to the cyclical nature mm. of desperation, and the fact that, let's say Antonio successfully steals that bike, I could easily see a film where instead of ever having followed Antonio, we follow the person whose bike Antonio stole. Well, that's stole. I
0: mean Mario. That's the whole fucking a thing. Yeah, right. Just the cycle. That, but not, like, not it's even the perfect.
2: cycle. It is, but it's. Here. But not
0: even the cycle. It's kind of it's an exactly like one of the things we talked about last week when we talked about Tamara Jenkins' private life, um, where this could be, this could be anybody, and he gives you that, and he gives you that sense through the whole movie that this story could be happening to any of the people that you see. This is one fucking story. It's just one, and there's hundreds, thousands of them going on in this movie. Every time you see a person in this movie, after a certain point you're just like, I wonder what that guy's going through. I wonder what that person's going through. What's you know, what's Antonio's wife Maria's story? What's she going through when they're not at home?
2: Yeah, and I, you know I, what I think mean I, that's such a that's such a timeless thing and that, that's done constantly in fiction. And I kinda wanna bring this to a modern take in my good old Reddit readings. Um, Matt Damon came out recently talking about Manchester by the sea. Mm. Uh, about how they ran out of money for the yeah. finale. Manchester by Sea, fucking great movie. Like, if you haven't, It's not on either of our lists, I don't think. No. No. Um, definitely not mine. It's not yours. Um, but still great. And the original ending shot of that was going to be a callback to where the family was together. Um, the know, whale, whale watching. Oh, yeah, yeah. you, know, you heard about this? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it kind of pans back, and it shows that their boat, as they're watching whales, you know, emerge from the water is just one of many you know and it kind of gives a sense of this is one story in a thousand and i think a lot of films and a lot of novels and, and art in general does that and it's a kind of a timeless sort of tale
1: mm. but
2: this, this does it nails it this
0: is what it is
2: this goes like oh yeah of course like his his bike was stolen just like he was going to steal someone's bike you know if he's successful there that would have been the story again. And, and you see the guy in the beginning say like, oh, I can be a poster hanger. You know, you could see his story. Every well, oh, person yeah, you see or nice. yep. the brothel and, <clears throat> and like the, the way the brothel has created this, this, this tight-knit community. And just like why have they created this tight-knit community? Why have they done this? I'm mean, talking last week about Star is Born, unfortunately, talking about it again, about how we, you know, the, the more interesting things were those small communities in that film. Like, the most interesting thing in that movie was those little small communities, because yeah, yeah. Bradley Cooper's not a director movie, but he at least <laughs> had that going for him. Um, but everything about this movie feels so fucking human. Oh, yeah. And I'm not really much of a humanist type person. I still believe in religion. Um, but, man, does this tell the human
0: tale. Well, I think it's kind of one of the so things... So perfect. One of the things that, you you know, you've brought up before is that, like, the sadness of this movie kind of extends beyond... Like the movie, yeah. you know what I mean. Like the guy that plays Antonio, like you well, know, yeah. Let's let's bring it up. I mean, it's it's it goes further than just
2: I mean that last is, shot of this movie. This is something that I, I read just read about this past week when when researching the film. I think just to personify how much of a human movie this is and how timeless it is. You know, even beyond the screen, um, the actor who played Antonio was. As we mentioned before, his son had went into audition for Bruno. You know, the Sika had seen him and cast him as Antonio, but he was a factory worker, hmm. and um, and uh, he had went back to the factory after doing this film, and there were layoffs, and they had seen him in Bicycle Thieves, and they're like, "Oh, he must be doing well," and so they, he was one of the ones laid off. The huh. First ones laid off, and he unsuccessfully tried to like go back into the film and a bunch of small roles. Uh, I don't know if he did film and stage, but. You know, he was just as destitute as his character was. You know, I think that kind of shows just how profound this film was in its time. But also the fact that a person could see this film now, could see this film most likely in 50 years, could, could have seen this film in the 70s, you know, during like the fuel shortage and during, during those sort mm. of crises. Or, or any time a person could see this movie. You know, be from an entirely different background, from an entirely different culture, and just feel everything it is doing. Mm. And that's why it's, I look now, unfortunately, my number 87. But in terms of its profound, I mean, maybe it's appropriate to 87. It has has a profound effect on me in the fact that, you know, I'm not of that class. You know, I'm definitely a middle class sort of person. I've had a middle class, lower middle class upbringing, and I'm in the middle class. But the fact that you see this movie and just, you can feel it no matter where you are. Mm. and The fact that you know people struggle in this way. Mm. And the fact that there's just these forces that feel so immeasurable. And this movie just so encapsulates that.
1: Mm.
0: Yeah. And it's like the human, it's like you said, it's the human things, but it's also like the bigger things that just happened that are no. never mentioned. Like the war is never mentioned in this movie. No. But you know that it just That's happened.
2: Because, yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, yeah it's, it's a profound of, film it's, it's fascinating almost
2: i i don't even think almost i think it is fascinating it's well it's one of those things that like fascinating so
0: you know it's not a curiosity yeah but i think in 2018 it's almost become something like a curiosity um i don't
2: know in 2018 it's becoming more it's and more relevant a, in each I know. passing day yeah it's it's definitely a film that everyone should sit down and watch it, it's a short movie it's 90 some minutes mm. It doesn't feel like it's ninety minutes. No, it almost it feels like it could true. go. It could go longer. Yeah, but it doesn't need to because everything about this movie is just so proficient. Yeah, and that's why it's my number seven. All right. Well, so that's it. For... I think that wraps it up on a bit of a downer note. Uh, my movie next week will be a little, little, little happy. actually no, we're not. Next vein. week's not a happy week. No. Yeah. Not bicycle feeds. We'll make it. Yeah, we'll make it happy. <laughs> Two weeks from now, I get happier. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> all right, so, um, you know, you can go to Instagram or... At Instagram.com slash Pivotal Film. You can look at all these Oktoberfest we've been drinking. Mm. And we'll be drinking. Well, we've only drank one. But we'll be drinking. You can look at the nice little image. It's- all of East Rock's covers are basically the same. Just, it's just East Rock.
0: They've got a good cohesive-like yeah. vision.
2: No, it's it's definitely uh, a solid labeling, mm. a, a, a brand identity. I think so. And it's a pleasant image. Um, you can also follow us in the backwards world at twitter.com slash filmpivotal. Tell us once more why you think Star is Born is great and why we're goofballs. And we'll still tell you you're, you're wrong
0: because you are. Yeah.
2: You're very wrong. Um, you can send those same messages to us at
0: uh, PivotalFilmPodcast at gmail.com, and you can go to PivotalFilm.com to keep track of the movies on our list and listen to the episodes and uh, look at a list of the beers that we've drank if you want to, you know, you feel like you
2: need an interesting beer suggestion. Or if you, you know, you've seen some of these movies over the past couple weeks that we've talked about in area block and oh, you've you seen drink B- away in the memory yeah. of it. You've seen, you just want to Bicycle do like an entire and... row of all those. beers. Yeah.
0: Um, but that's it. You know, we've got a, next week's another big
2: new movie week. We've got lots of things to see and talk about. Uh, definitely next week. I'll be talking about a movie that features a gun toting Jamie Lee Curtis. Don't you feel like you're being crushed to death with new movies now? Before we
0: did this podcast, I didn't even care. I was like, I'll get to it. I watched. But now okay. I feel like I'm dying. Yeah.
2: Like, obviously, as, as we said earlier, we film our A block a week in advance. Um, so really, we're actually talking about First Man next week, even though we talked about it earlier tonight. Um, but yeah, no. But at the same time, it's like pleasant because like. I watch a lot of movies and I'm not looking forward to them. And I watch them I'm surprised by them. And I watch some of them and not look forward to them. And then I really don't look forward to them yeah. afterwards. And sometimes I look forward to them and I'm like, oh, what the fuck was I doing? Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's, that's the great thing about film. I mean, I think in the past week, I watched, in the past week, I think in about 36 hour period, I watched five movies. And yeah. it didn't seem like a waste of time. No, I've, it was raining a lot. I've
0: too. seen, including these and everything else, I've seen eight movies this week.
2: Well, you know, actually, you know, which is just—I
0: feel like that's almost too. Many, it's almost too many movies when you're not getting paid for it.
2: Sometimes I even watch movies for fun. Like uh, I was really feeling a Monster Vision movie this past week, mm-hmm. and so I watched a, a really popular Monster Vision movie I'd never seen. It's called Sorority Babes in the Slime Ball Bolorama. Yeah,
0: that's a. That's that's.
2: That's a. That's a movie. <laughs> it features a a very racist. Stylized, well, stylized, racist. So, the villain's an imp, yeah. like a puppet imp. I it's, would hope so. not title like that. I would it's, hope it. it's also, It's only an hour and seven minutes, but still, you.
0: So don't go see that, but see a movie, drink a beer, and talk to you next week.